Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3 will be in verses 1 through 7. And we're continuing a series through 1 Timothy, if you're just joining us. Uh, we've been um, in this for just a few weeks. And so continuing here in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, it's on page 992 of the church Bible. If uh, you want to use that under the seat somewhere there in front of you, the words will also be on the screen here uh, and just... Uh, a moment, but I want to talk this morning about the qualities of good elders. And let me say now, in case I forget to later, we have some good elders here, and I am thankful for them. I really mean that sincerely. Uh, we really do. Um, once again, as you're turning to, uh, to that scripture, once again in the last two weeks, there was news of a, a, a leader of a major Christian organization, big church planning organization, who was also a pastor, who was removed from his position because of accusations of abusive leadership. A abusive not meaning um, physically or sexually abusive, as has been far too often in the news in recent years. But ab abusive in the sense that people who had served with him for years said his style was characterized by bullying, intimidation, and control. They were afraid of him. I mean, I'm, I'm struck by that. Let me, let me say here, I am always sympathetic uh, to the failures of any of anybody, particularly any Christian leader. I'm not immune from those and they, they actually make me tremble a little bit because I realize it could be me. And having said that, the idea of somebody having a pattern established as a pastor where the people who worked with him were afraid of him, something seems very wrong about that, doesn't it? to be controlling and uh, to strike fear in people. Yet for some period of time, that was the case uh, with this, this guy. And uh, a certain amount of that was just justified as strong leadership. It just, he was a strong leader that ruffled some feathers. That was kind of how that was explained or passed over or overlooked for a season of time. And it just eventually got to the point where it couldn't be justified anymore. Uh, he was removed from one leadership position um, in one organization and then ended up resigning as pastor from his church. And it's a reminder that often the leadership qualities that build great corporations and even armies destroy great churches. That sometimes the leadership qualities that build great corporations destroy great churches. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. God said, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. But Jesus took the principles of the world, what the world considers desirable, what the, how the world measures success and so on and so forth, and he turns it all on its head, that the least will be greatest. The meek shall inherit the earth, and so on and so forth. And so when we in the church, again, turn it upside down again, 
It shouldn't be any surprise to us when the wreckage results. Pastors and ruling elders are not field generals and CEOs of the church. They are shepherds appointed to care for the sheep that Jesus loves and died for. And so they require a different set of leadership qualities. And we see those outlined uh, in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. We get some insight on that subject. And so let's look there together now. Hopefully you've found it. If not, it's uh, those words I think will be on the screen. But I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand as we read the scripture together. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 Timothy 3, reading out of the English Standard Version. Listen to the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to, the, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we, we are thankful for a word of truth and life that always has something to say to us. We hope always to have ears to hear it. We know that we bring different needs um, to every gathering, to every day, every time we open the scriptures, Lord, each of us has our own needs, things that we need to hear, ways that you need to minister to us. So God, we're asking that you would do that as only you can, that somehow the words spoken would be heard and received and applied according to the needs that each of us has and according to the ways that you want to minister to them. So would you give us ears to hear this morning and we ask that you would speak, O oh Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and for our good. And God, would you move me out of the way and speak through me to your people in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, in Acts uh, 20, we saw that overseers are also called elders and that they are responsible for shepherding or pastoring the flock. So m many of you remember that. I've spoken to that a few times. Um, if, you're, uh, sort of, if you've come more recently, you can look back at, uh, at Acts chapter 20. Um, I believe it's down around verse 27, 28 and following. But in other words, the office of overseer and the office of elder are synonymous. The, uh, the, the word overseer comes from the Greek word um, episkopos, which as it made its way down into English um, became bishop. 
to the word overseer is um, referred to a lot of times in church history circles as bishop. The word, uh, of course, presbyteros is elder. So overs, overseers and elders are um, synonymous. Which is why I say here, when he, he speaks of aspiring to the office of overseer, he is speaking to the office of elder, as we call it. In fact, when Paul tells Timothy, or it's not, not Timothy, sorry, Titus, to appoint elders in every town, he gives them a real similar list. And what he says about overseers here, he says in reference to elders um, over there. In Timothy's cases, case, the elders are already in place. In fact, if you remember the introduction to the book, they're, they're part of the problem. They aren't altogether good elders in, uh, in Ephesus. The part of the false teaching is, has emerged out of um, the eldership. And so this list of qualities that Paul gives to Timothy serves as an examining device by which the elders can reflect and examine themselves and so that the congregation can examine them too. Not only in the future as elders are selected, but even as elders in some cases may need to be removed and they'll get instruction on that later in the letter. But we, all, we all might also want to say here, lest you think um, that this has nothing to do to, with you unless you're an elder, that is not true. Let me tell you two reasons why, okay? Because some of y'all were thinking that. I know, you're already, you're already thinking about where you're going for lunch. You're like, I'm off the hook today. So it, it applies to you in at least two ways. If you're part of this congregation, you're responsible for selecting the elders. Our congregation elects its elders. Now, I want you to, I want you to feel the weight of, of that appropriately, okay? Because listen, if you were responsible for selecting the babysitter for the king's children, you'd probably have a pretty thorough screening process, right? Like if, if you were responsible for finding the person who's gonna care for the king's kids, you would take that very seriously. And if you're responsible for choosing the, the shepherds who will tend the king's flock, uh, we ought to take that one seriously too. So that's one way that it applies to everybody here. The, the other way, um, I think, and maybe, maybe more directly to the point, these, these qualities are, are stated uh, as applying to leaders who ought to exemplify what the whole congregation is called to become. That sentence didn't really make any sense, so let me say it again. Uh, so God's, all these things that are said about um, elders are said about the church of God in other places. The character that elders are supposed to reflect is what the church itself is supposed to reflect. It's just that you can't become that if your leaders don't embody that. No, and no organization will rise any higher than the level of its leadership. So what, what, the, what elders are supposed to be, every church member is supposed to aspire to be. The qualities that elders are supposed to possess in order to become elders, all of the congregation is supposed to aspire to possess.
Does that make sense? If it didn't make sense, just take my word for it and say it applies to you too. So you listen. You listen carefully. But as it says in verse 1, the person who aspires to the office of overseer desires a noble task. The task is noble. The aspiration may not necessarily be. The task that they desire is a noble task. Sometimes the desire for leadership is not itself noble. There are people who desire leadership for the wrong reasons, and those are precisely the ones you don't want to give it to. Some of them already work in Washington, by the way. Uh, a leadership of a different sort. Sorry for the distraction. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, there are, there are people who aspire to leadership for the wrong reasons. Their desire for that leadership is not noble, even though the task still is. And so, knowing that, Paul gives us this list of qualifications uh, for leaders that I think can be organized into five evaluative questions, as I've called them. Five evaluative or five reflective questions for elders, okay? And so I've tried to organize it under those headings. Question number one is, what would others say about your character? This is reflective questions for elders or future elders or those who are, are called to emulate them. What would others say about your character? He mentions here uh, a few characteristics that reflect our character, like uh, the, the elder must be above reproach, respectable, well thought of by outsiders. So that is to say, if the background check has been done, it came back clean. Okay, nobody could make a charge against you that would stick. It doesn't mean that nobody has anything bad to say about you, that, no, that everybody likes you. In fact, that's pretty certain everybody doesn't like you um, or me. And it doesn't matter. We've, it doesn't mean that we've never done anything wrong to offend anybody. That's really not the point. It's just to say that your character is so uh, overwhelmingly positive and admirable and worthy of imitation, that whoever might lay a charge against you would just find that that charge doesn't stick. You might say that if somebody made a false accusation against you, all the character witnesses that would, would, would come testifying on your behalf would so overwhelmingly affirm your good character uh, as to render those other charges just unbelievable. Above reproach, above reproach. In, uh, in the ministerial examination process in the presbytery, so for teaching elders or pastors, during that examina examination process, there literally is a background check. Um, there are references that provide written references and references that people call. Um, they do personality um, tests so that you know sort of what strengths and weaknesses are, what your tendencies are, and how, how you might um, be hurtful rather than helpful to people at different times and all that kind of stuff. 
And even in the, uh, you know, the, the examination process itself, and they get real personal with you about what's in your life and what's in your background and so forth. And uh, we don't even desire probably to do something quite that extensive on a local church level, but the point is it's a serious endeavor and it matters all of those things about us everywhere that you could inquire, that what people inside the church say, what people outside the church say about us would be uh, a positive testimony about our character. You know, if a, if a non-Christian acquaintance learned that you were an elder, you would hope their reaction is not shock and disbelief. You know, you don't want to hear, you don't want to hear from people, oh yeah, I know Bartholomew, he's an elder at our church. And you, know, you see the big eyes and this same guy who berates the umpires and the coaches at his kid's baseball game every Saturday. Have you seen the way he treats his employees? Or, you know, he's an elder. I hope you don't let him count the money. <laughs> Unless you're holding on to it with both hands while he counts it. You know, you don't want to hear those kinds of things about people. If you are going to hear them, you want to hear before you make them an elder. The prevailing testimony should be that the elder is a person of good character. Question number two for reflection is, what is your disposition toward others? What is your disposition toward others? It says here that the, the elder overseer is to be hospitable, not violent, but gentle, and not quarrelsome. You know, it's interesting, if you remember back in uh, last week's uh, message in, in chapter 2, verse 8, uh, Paul addresses uh, to the men, and he says, I desire that everywhere men pray without anger or quarreling. Do you remember that? As if that, because that's something that needs to be said to men. <laughs> Stop growling, you know? Uh, men, just in general, and it's, it's very much a, a, a generalization, but men tend to be naturally um, aggressive and in some cases combative. There is something, there is something in the average male that wants to fight a little bit Okay, so we, we had this conversation yesterday with a group of people, um, you know, over, we're having coffee together, whatever, and talking about how boys like guns, you know? So like if you, you might be a parent and has a house where you say, we're not gonna let, let our boys have guns, that's okay, because they'll make a gun out of whatever, right? If you had this experience, the broom can be a gun, the umbrella can be a gun, a stick out of the yard can be a gun, their finger can be a gun, a pen can be a gun, or whatever the case may be. And so you might want a plan B that involves teaching them uh, how, to, how to think uh, responsibly or rightly about, uh, about guns. And that was just an example in a conversation recently. But the point is, there, there is something um, common a lot of times, or just a natural kind of... Um, aggression. And so it requires a transformational work of the Holy Spirit to soften uh, the heart of people, to make a gentle spirit out of a combative or fighting spirit. Now that, I, you understand I'm, I'm overgeneralizing in a, 
to a terrible degree because not everybody is, is that way um, to, all, to all the same degrees. But the point is to say that the person who has really had um, an encounter with the Holy Spirit and is, is being changed into the likeness of Jesus will be growing in gentleness and meekness and so forth. And so, as, as further sort of questions or reflections on how well is that happening in you, how do you handle conflict? That would be one question. When, when this, this overarching question, what's your disposition to others? Uh, one that might give you, again, another question, give you a little bit more insight. How do you handle conflict? Do you blow up and storm out of the room? Uh, do you give your spouse, children, or coworkers the silent treatment so that they know you're upset and... They'll know when you're over it, when you start talking again. How do you react when things don't go your way? I mean, does it, does it, when, when you want a certain outcome and that's not the outcome that you get, does it feel, does it always feel like a loss on your undefeated record of being right? You know, you just had a perfect record of being right, of getting your way or whatever, that every time you don't get your way, it just feels like you've lost something and you want to come out on top. What reaction does that beget in your dealings with other people? Well, it ought to be uh, one of gentleness, hospitality, and so forth. Question number three is, how well do you love and lead your family? How well do you love and lead your family? He says the uh, overseer or elder should be the husband of one wife and he should manage his own household well. Someone who's faithful to his wife and leads his children well. Verses four and five um, in the NIV say that uh, he must manage his own household well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. The ESV says, with all dignity, um, dot, 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 and I don't remember exactly how that was phrased, but it uses the, fra the, the, the phrase, with all dignity. The NIV says, in a manner full of, uh, worthy of full respect. Because if anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? That's the point. Okay, that's the point. And so... One of the evaluative questions, self-examination and even external examination, is how does that go? How well are you loving and leading your own family? So there is a responsibility of a father to discipline his children, to teach his children right and wrong, how to obey and so forth, to discipline them in that respect, and yet to do so in a manner uh, that's worthy of full respect itself. With an appropriate uh, love and uh, gentleness, there's a firmness to that too, but it's not domineering and controlling and fear and intimidation. 
But however that goes in the household, here's the implication, right? However that goes in the household, that's how it's going to go in the church. The way that person leads and shepherds um, and even disciplines, that's how it's going to go in the church. The, the elders do have a responsibility and not only for caring for the flock, but when necessary for the discipline of the flock. We don't use that term a whole lot in church anymore. Um, but the idea is as a father calls his children to accountability, so elders call the congregation to accountability. And when sheep wander astray, the shepherd brings them back into the fold. And however that looks and feels in the family environment um, is how it's going to look and feel in the church. And so again, as an elder or a prospective future elder or as one who is charged with electing elders, uh, that's an important question. How well do you love and lead your family? Question number four, do you exercise self-control? I couldn't think of a better way of, uh, of phrasing this question. He uses the word self-controlled as one of the descriptors of a good elder. He also uses the word sober-minded or temperate, it says in some translations. And he says, not a drunkard, not a lover of money. That's not an exhaustive list. He could put other things in here. The, the, the point is to say, um, are you a person who can control yourself? Who, who, who has the flesh um, under a measure of self-control? Now, here's the thing. As soon as we start talking about it, we realize, well, no, I really can't altogether <laughs> control myself. Maybe when I reach eternity... I'll experience that. But, but so here's, here's really the bigger point is that the desires of the flesh, as we call them, just the physical desires, uh, appetites like uh, food and drink and, and any kind of physical pleasure, that kind of thing, those desires of the flesh are like a, a food allergy or something, you know, that uh, it can be, more or less severe, but, but it, it doesn't need much to be triggered, right? So if you, if you know, if you've got a dairy allergy, for instance, you, you probably ought not to have dairy. Or you know if you can have a little bit or not or whatever, but it doesn't take much to upset the stomach and then it's upset for a long time. Or maybe you break out into a rash or whatever. Um, but the, the point is, this is the way sin and our sinful nature behaves, it doesn't take any effort at all for your flesh to get fleshy. It just doesn't take any, it doesn't take any effort at all. It'll do that quite well right on its own. And so if you give it a little bit, it'll just run away with it. Those appetites are never satisfied. Whatever it is, and whatever it is that maybe is a stumbling block for you because it's different for different people. He mentions not a drunkard, not a lover of money. Again, it could be other kinds of, of pleasure. That if we indulge them, they will keep on demanding to be indulged. Never satisfied. It takes an ongo a steady, ongoing effort 
to be self-controlled in that way. And that requires, I mean, this could be a whole sermon by itself, but that requires, uh, number one, walking in the spirit, as Galatians 5 says, that will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. But it also requires disciplined living. I mean, of some, uh, discipline of some sort. Um, you can't just wait, and we've talked about this before, I think, but you just can't wait for the Holy Spirit to make you feel like giving up ice cream, if ice cream's a problem for you, for example. Like if you've got a food, if you've got an overeating problem, and you go, well, I just haven't quit yet because, you know, the Lord hadn't laid that on my heart. You know, you just you quit buying ice cream. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you might need to take some actual uh, external measures so like, don't bring it in the house. You might not need to walk down the frozen food aisle at the store, okay? And, and, and being a little bit more serious, I mean, for somebody who's had a problem with alcohol, they know maybe they need to stay out of places where alcohol is served publicly for a season of time. Maybe they literally do need to not walk down the beer and wine aisle in the store. And again, you could fill in the blank with other things, uh, but the point is, there are, there are dis- volitional decisions of our will where we have to work ourselves at disciplining ourselves with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in order to become people of self-control. Uh, it is both a work of the Spirit uh, and a decision of our will. Number five, question number five, are you grounded in the faith? Are you grounded in the faith? It says, the elder should not be a recent convert and the elder should be able to teach. Not a recent convert and able to teach. He, in fact, he gives the reason here um, why he must not be a recent convert. He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And it's tempting at times in some churches because like if an, if an executive of a major company gets saved, you know, comes to faith in Christ, there might be a temptation to put that person into leadership within the church because of his influence and his leadership ability, right? Who wouldn't want a CEO of a major corporation helping you lead your church? But those are not the qualifications See, those are not the skills that qualify him to be a shepherd of the flock of Jesus. And can you see both the real temptation on one hand? So it's easy to, it's easy to sit here and think abstractly, um, no, that would never happen. Well, when people recognize strong, strong leadership, sometimes they think, they, let's put him into leadership in the church. No, if he's a recent convert, do not put him in leadership in the church. There was some conversation about that around the conversion um, testimony of Kanye West uh, recently um, that he was put in position. In some ways, you might not know who that is, a a, a musical artist or whatever, um, really, really popular, um, you know, famous guy or whatever. But but the point is, he, he kind of was in the position to get a lot of spotlight on him. 
and he welcomed it to a certain degree, um, but it's really too much pressure for a new believer even. He's gonna, he's gonna make mistakes. He's gonna say things that, that just aren't altogether right, you know, and you need to give people space to grow and to make some of those mistakes in the right context or whatever. Um, it's that kind of thing. A, a recent convert just hasn't matured yet. Give it time. Um, the other thing he says here, though, is the, the elder must be able to teach. And this is not primarily, I think, about the gift of teaching or skill at teaching. This is, this is not primarily about all elders must have the gift of teaching. Um, it is more about having a grasp on the truth that should be taught. In fact, when Paul wrote to Titus, he instructed him, as I said, to appoint elders and gave him a similar list. And regarding the elders' ability to teach, um, he said this, and I, I think that uh, a verse will be up here on the screen. But Paul said this to Titus, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who, who contradict it. That in other words, in saying the elder must be able to teach, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. You know, one of the requirements of elders in our church, um, but in any evangelical Presbyterian church, and other confessionally reformed Presbyterian churches is that the elder must uh, sincerely receive and adopt the Westminster Confession of Faith as the system of doctrine contained in the Holy Scriptures. That's the line we include in the oath. That is, uh, that we, that the elder looks at that reformed confession of faith and says, yes, I understand this is essentially, fundamentally, what the Bible teaches. And sometimes that doesn't sit well with people to think there would be that kind of requirement. But the, but the point is, this is our understanding of what the trustworthy word is as taught. Okay, so track with me on this. In other words, we believe the Bible teaches something. Everybody believes the Bible teaches something about God, about man, about sin, about salvation, etc., about the church. This is how we understand that to be summed up. Perfectly okay for people not to um, agree with that. Like I totally get why that's the case. I can predict where their first points of disagreement are going to be. But it's not okay for your leadership to be disunified about fundamental things of what the church believes. You cannot exist in a healthy way where there's division at the leadership level about fundamental beliefs. And so the, the, the elder must be uh, able to teach in the sense that he holds firmly to the trustworthy word as taught. That's, that's the reason we have that criteria when we're um, screening and selecting elders in our church and other churches, that you have people who have not only, not only enough time has passed since their conversion, but enough growth has transpired. 
It is possible to be a 20-year-old baby Christian. And I don't mean 20, you're a 20-year-old. I mean, like, you've been a Christian for 20 years, and you're still a baby Christian. It's possible to be a Christian for 30 years and still be a baby Christian. But there just isn't growth really happening. Again, that's all well and good. I would encourage you, come on along if you've been not growing for 30 years. But it's not okay for that person to be a leader of the church. You understand the difference? There's no condemnation in that. But it's to say there's a higher expectation for right reasons for, the, for those who are going to be elders. Are you grounded in the faith? If you are not grounded, you can't impart to other people the truth of the Christian faith. You can't minister out of the truth if you're not grounded in the truth. So as I said earlier, um, if we were charged with taking care uh, of, some, of, a, of somebody's child, if we, were, if we were even charged with house-sitting for somebody, pet-sitting for somebody, or even just driving somebody else's car around, we probably do that with the utmost vigilance. And we need to exercise that same, actually not the same, a greater level of vigilance, a higher degree of care and concern in determining who has God called to be leaders of the flock of God. Nobody perfectly possesses all of these qualities all the time. Nobody perfectly possesses all of these qualities all the time. But everybody ought to be in pursuit of them. Everybody ought to be in pursuit of them. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the truth of your word, God, and the high calling you have upon those who are appointed to oversee the flock. And Lord, I do pray first and foremost that those of us who are in that role would have cause for reflection today, that we would ask ourselves these questions once again for, um, for truth to be revealed about us and how we might need to submit things to you as a matter of confession and a matter of need for you to continue to transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. Our great shepherd who's called, called us to be his under shepherd. So Lord, would you inspire that examination and reflection? But Father, I pray that you would also inspire in all of us a concern for the character and spiritual maturity of those who are going to be charged with shepherding this congregation. And Lord, move in our own hearts um, to grow more uh, in these same characteristics, God, that, that we might become people of good character, that it might be said of us whether we will ever be um, an elder or not, that it might be said of us that we're above reproach and hospitable, that we uh, would be well thought of by outsiders, 
that we manage our own household well, that we're self-controlled, that we're not angry people in our dealings with others, um, God, that we, we have a gracious and forbearing spirit that can handle conflict graciously and that can be okay with not getting our own way. And Lord, would you continue to ground us in the faith that we might steward it well and pass it along. Lord, this is your church. This is your church. And we pray you'd glorify yourself in us. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.